Our text is short today, so I'm going to read it for us while we're praying. I just invite you to listen. I'm going to read it once from the Bible, and then I'm going to read a paraphrase. That's my own. So just listen. See if you can start hearing God today. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the lowly, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are you who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for you will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. Just keep listening. Here's a paraphrase for you. I am with those who have nothing. They have everything. I am with those whose hearts are broken. They will be comforted. The lowly are my own. Folks who feel small are on their way to having everything. Happy are the hungry for the way things should be. They will see everything sorted out. I'm with those who relieve suffering, for they will experience relief. I'm with you who have no ulterior motives. You will see love. You're on the right track. Wherever you are making things whole, you are God's kids. I am with those who are in trouble for all the right reasons. Yours is the kingdom. When people hate you, Because of me, you're right on track. Rejoice and be glad, for I'm with you. Father, as we come to a familiar text, sometimes it's helpful to hear it in an unfamiliar way. And we ask that you would open our hearts and our minds by your spirit, that we could be your followers, your disciples, people that don't just hear these words, but embody these words. God, with this description, this powerful description of your kingdom, be a description of the people that are hearing my voice, the people in this room, the people gathered together to be moved by your love to love others. God, would we see in this description of your kingdom a powerful description of our own lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. It's for his kingdom's sake that we pray it. Amen. All right, we're going to jump right into Matthew chapter 5, picking up in verse 1. We're not going to do a lot of frills today. We're just going to kind of try to stick really close to the text. And my hope is that God's Spirit will speak much more than I ever could, as always. So really try to hear from God's Word today, much more so than my own words. Look at Matthew 5, picking up in verse 1. It says this, Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. Jesus will keep retreating throughout the book of Matthew. He will move around, and people will have to look for him. They'll have to follow him. They'll have to go into mountains and into the countryside. They'll have to follow him around. When he ret- here he retreats to a mountain, and this is interesting. Matthew says that his disciples come to him, not that the crowds came to him, 
But at the end of the Sermon on the, on the Mount, Matthew will say that the crowds were amazed by his teaching, so the crowds do come. So who is Jesus speaking to? He's speaking to his disciples. Yes, he's speaking to anyone who might follow him up onto a mountain to hear from him. It would seem that disciples here means not just the 12, but anyone who wanted to follow Jesus at the mountainside. He had been healing and moving around and healing all kinds of diseases, Matthew says. All form and manner from psychological illnesses to physical illnesses to spiritual illnesses. Illnesses of all kinds and shapes. Jesus had been healing and now he retreats. But the retreat doesn't really work because the crowds come. The following, commonly referred to as the Sermon on the Mount, is an invitation for those who want to follow Jesus. For you and me and everyone we know. His disciples, his followers will embody the words of this message. And when we see this picture, if you can take a step back and look back at it. This picture of Jesus preaching on a mountain. Word from God coming from a mountain. What are we reminded of? Well, people of the book are reminded... Reminded that we've seen that before. We saw Moses go on to Mount Sinai and receive the ten words, the law, the ten commandments. And this thing, this image of someone on a mountain bringing God's word is nothing new. Jesus keeps telling the old story in a new way. He begins to teach, and this will be a great expansion of his previous teaching, which which was John's teaching, which was just one sentence. Repent, change your mind, change your heart, change your direction, because the kingdom of God is right here and right now. Now Jesus expounds and shows us more of what the kingdom is, what it looks like to follow him, what the community of faith will look like and sound like and be like. It seems that Jesus interrupts healing for teaching because apparently his teaching matters. Apparently he's after the thing behind the thing, not just the symptoms, but the illness itself. And there's something about his teaching, there's something about his word that will reform people in a way that just a simple touch doesn't. The healing of a sick world will happen when people meditate and become what Jesus invites in his teaching. When they reflect on it and embody it. The next few verses of Jesus' teaching are commonly referred to as the Beatitudes, which is a weird word, a super weird word. Um, It makes it sound like these are something to aspire to, which they kind of aren't, especially at the beginning. The later ones will be, but the first ones won't be. The first ones will be a description of people in suffering, moving to people who are helping others. They'll follow a simple structure. They're meant to be ruminated over. You're supposed to simmer on this for your whole life, not just for a few minutes on a Sunday morning. So I invite you to take this text and to read it multiple times this week. To reflect on it multiple times and to really to chew on it, to sit with it. They will invert every power structure we can think of. And they, would, they will redefine what we actually think it means to be blessed, happy, or connected. In order to understand these, you have to understand what blessed means. We live in a time where there's a hashtag for everything. And there's a hashtag for blessed, right? You've seen this maybe <laughs> on social media on the internet. Like, you know, you get this new amazing thing. Hashtag blessed. You know, your family looks like a Gap commercial. Hashtag blessed, you know? You've got your Starbucks and your whatever. Hashtag blessed, you know? That kind of thing. Have you all seen this? Are you aware of this? Are you familiar with hashtag blessed? 
Jesus kind of blows up our hashtags. Blessing in the scriptures means something vastly deeper than a temporary passing happiness. Blessing in the scripture means connected. When God blesses someone, he says, I'm connected with you. And you are connected with what it means to be a human, with what it means to be a child of God, with what it means to be engaged with your community and with your world. That is what blessing means in the scripture. It is the shalom of God, the connection of God. It means that you are where you need to be. Blessing means I am with you. And now the four groups of people at the front of this will be all in need, all hurting. The last groups will be in service. But all of these words will be words of grace, words of gift to people who are broken and weary. There is a movement through these blessings. And we're going to find that we're connected when we're empty. We're connected when we give. We're connected when we suffer forgiving. And over and over and over again. I'd invite you to listen to what Jesus says blessing's all about. Look at verse 3. And he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Note here that Jesus doesn't begin with a list of demands. This is his first kind of formal exposition of his whole kingdom. And he doesn't begin with a list of demands, but with a list of gifts for those who have nothing, connected, at peace, are the poor in spirit. The poor in spirit, what does this mean? This means anyone who doesn't know how they're going to make it through. This means the ones who are desperate. This means the failure, the loser, the inadequate. The ones who feel lost and wayward and wandering. It also means the literally poor. Luke's gospel will say, it'll drop the in spirit. And Jesus will just say, blessed are the poor in Luke. And if you think it doesn't mean the literally poor, he'll go on to say, woe to the rich. So I don't know how much more information you need, right? Because I know there's something in our Western American heads that's clicking through and going, oh, poor in spirit. So he doesn't mean, but he does. Anyone, anyone who's desperate, the poor in spirit, Jesus says, are close to being grateful for every breath. The poor in spirit cannot look down on anyone because they know they are at the bottom. The kingdom of heaven, how it is all supposed to be, the way things should be, it belongs to them. It belongs to them. It doesn't belong to more important or more powerful people to give to the poor in spirit. Jesus says it belongs to them. Does that change the way you think of charity? Does that change the way we think of how we help people? It belongs to them. I thought we will pray for yours is the kingdom, meaning God. God is in league with the poor in spirit and the poverty stricken and the oppressed. Yes. 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 Jesus doesn't say they will be blessed. He says they're blessed right now. The good word of blessing is over the poor in spirit right now. How can this be? How can this be? This is the good news of Jesus. Will you also notice that when Jesus is speaking, is he talking to Christians? He's not. Christians aren't even a thing. 
He can't be. He can't. He can't be talking to Christians here because it's, he's saying, "Blessed are the poor in spirit, everywhere, in every place, and every time." The words of Jesus, his first formal teaching, are not here's a set of things to follow through with, and then you will receive a blessing. His announcement, contrary to our every thought, religious or otherwise, is you're blessed. You feel desperate? I'm with you. You're connected. Like that. No hoops. No boxes. No nothing. It is very challenging, this teaching. If you sit in a building in Western American culture, very difficult. Look at what he goes on to say. Verse 4, blessed are those who mourn, those in grief, for they will be comforted. On track are those who mourn. Mourn for what? What happens when we mourn? Mourning is about loss. Mourning is about brokenness. Mourning is about losing a person, a thing, an identity, a job. Loss. Feeling broken. And Jesus comes to the broken who are mourning and says, feel better. No, he, he doesn't say that. He comes to the, to the broken and the lost and the alone and he says, you know what, if you just would have made some choices differently. You know what, if you just would have like filled out that form. If you just would have showed up at that place in that time. He doesn't say any of that. Any of it. Blessed are those who mourn. There's this vibe sometimes of like everything's fine. And there are great things. But everything is not fine. But Jesus says they will be comforted. They will have their grief addressed and redressed. Because the kingdom is here. Repair will happen. The comfort mostly is just in the presence and the arrival of God himself in the flesh. This Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, the Lord saves. All of that wrapped into his person. For someone who's mourning, he does not come with an answer. He comes with himself. And he's here. And he says they will be comforted. The presence of God with us. Look at verse 5. Blessed are the meek. Connected are the meek. Sometimes we see this as humble in our English translations. You can see this as lowly. For they will inherit the earth. Meek means the, hum, the little people, the powerless, the oppressed, those who have no claims, those who have no legal claim, who have no economic claim, who have no moral claim, the empty-handed. Connected are the humble. Not the brash, not the bragging, not the entitled, not the, the ones who are empty-handed. Empty-handed. The earth is theirs, he says. It's theirs. What does this say to us? What does it say to you? The message of the first blessings is for victims. No one musters poverty. No one shoots for mourning and for grief. These are not the beatitudes of like, hey, seek out abject poverty and oppression. It's not what these are. This is an arrival of Jesus to the hurting and the oppressed in every way, in every direction. You wanna, if you want to ask, well, what do you mean? Do you mean like with money? Yeah, I mean like with money. 
What do you mean? With like psychological problems? Yes, I mean that. Do you mean like with physical? Yes, I mean that. Do you mean with cultural hurdles? Yes, all of it. All oppressions shall cease. We sing at Christmas time. Every last one. Now we, we, we struggle with this because we think somewhere deep down that the earth belongs to those who have it. To those who have it firmly in hand. And Jesus comes and he just tips it over. He says, it's not yours. The earth does not belong to those who are clutching onto it. It belongs to those with an empty hand. Look at verse 6. Blessed, connected, at peace are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Again, your mind might be going like, okay, he doesn't mean the literally hungry. But is it right to be literally hungry? No, it isn't. When, when Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for right, righteousness, he's saying, blessed, connected, you are on track, and I am with you. When you look at what is, and you say it shouldn't be that way. It's got to be better than that. It has to be better than that. It has to be better than that for people who have nothing. It has to be better than that for people who are enslaved, either in here or right here, any, any which way of slavery. It has to get better. And I have to make a movement into that. Jesus says, I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. If you are, if you are bothered, <laughs> if you're bothered by the way things are, and you're hungry, and you're thirsty for them to be different, I'm with you. You're right on track. You're right on track. He says, not just that, they will be filled. There will come a time when they're not hungry anymore. In different ways, Jesus is saying that those who are pushing for more wholeness, for more peace, for more justice, for more equality, for things to be made new are the ones who are onto something. Jesus doesn't say, blessed are the righteous. These folks in view here know they are not righteous. This is both personal as well as corporate. He's saying, blessed are you. You're on the right track when you know you haven't figured it out. When you know that there's further to go. When you know that your actions and your attitudes and your words are broken and they need help. Blessed are you. You are on the right track and I am with you when you're hungry and when you're thirsty. Who feel like you can't go on without right living and right action. Without healthier families and communities. This is a hunger and a thirst for righteousness in all directions, in our relationship with the Creator, in our relationship with each other, in our communities, and in our schools, and in our organizations, in our business practices, in our everything. They will be filled, filled with the present rightness and the coming rightness. The righteousness comes in with our connection with God and is breaking into this world wherever people are waking up and wherever they are hungry and thirsty for things to be made right. Are you in the position of these first ones? Because if you're following Jesus, and again, I'm not trying to judge you, but think about this. Do you identify with any of these yet? If you don't, something's off. Something's off. And there's good news for you too. 
But if you're, if you're listening to this and you're wondering where you walked into this morning and you're thinking, I don't, I don't identify with that. There's a big problem in your spiritual journey. A really big problem. And you're invited into the next ones, by the way. Look at verse 7. Notice the movement between those who are in suffering and those who ease suffering. He says, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Jesus will say elsewhere that you can't expect forgiveness if you will not forgive. This incredible paradox, you cannot get mercy, you cannot be free. Literally, because deep down you think you are above it. If you cannot forgive someone, you can't get it. If you can't realize the need to forgive others, you can't. The merciful are merciful because they recognize the brokenness in themselves and in another person. That's the only thing that equips us to be merciful, the mercy of God experiencing it ourselves and being able to reflect it to others. Mercy in the Bible is defined as not getting a consequence that you deserve. That's what mercy is. That's like the dictionary definition of it in the Bible. Blessed are those who relieve consequences. That offends our sensibilities, right? But they earned it, right? But if you, like, if you, you got to do the time if you do the crime, right? Do you mean that literally? I mean it every which way. Jesus says, blessed are the merciful. For they're going to get mercy. What could be more offensive to religious people, by the way? What could be more offensive if you struggle with control? Mercy is the relief of all suffering. All forms and all manner connected, Jesus says. At peace, I am with you. You are on track if you're relieving the suffering of others. Because when you relieve that suffering, what happens to your own? Jesus says you get mercy when you give it. Your suffering's relieved when you relieve suffering. He's not done. Look at verse 8. We're only eight verses in. Heavy? Right? Blessed are the pure in heart, he says, for they will see God. At this point, a lot of us are just like, okay. Thanks. Yep. Pure in heart. What do you, what do you mean pure in heart? What do you mean pure in heart, Jesus? What? I have never met anyone like that. What do you mean? Where are these people you're talking to? Do you see in all these good words and all this connection, Jesus can also be remarkably unspecific in a way? What do you mean pure? He doesn't define it. He doesn't define pure in heart. He talks much more about who people are at the core of their being, the pure in heart, those whose thoughts, whose motives, whose intentions are pure, meaning unpolluted, uncluttered, clear. My paraphrase of this says, Blessed are those without ulterior motives in anything. No ulterior motives. Not loving to get something. Not doing good to get something. Blessed are the pure in heart. The singular in their intention. And why does he say they will see God? What is, what is God? The Bible tells us God is love. God is unconditional love. He says, when you, when you live without condition, you find an unconditional love for you. You'll see God. You'll see him work and move, infinite and unfathomable and unclouded. Look at verse 9. 
We're not done. Hang with me. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. God's kids seek peace. Now, this verse has been used to keep people docile in times when you should be hungry and thirsty for righteousness. And I've experienced this firsthand as a way to keep folks quiet and in line. Even with what I've said up until now, you could be like, practice what you preach. Because you've been saying some things that have been causing some conflict in my heart. And I don't like that. And that doesn't make me feel peace. So are you a peacemaker? (laughs) Do you feel that? Is there any of that in there? Because Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. It misunderstands Jesus, and it misunderstands the scriptures if you say, blessed are the peacemakers, so just keep quiet about the things that are wrong. So just get in line and calm down about the ways that you're hungry and thirsty for righteousness. Because he just said, blessed are those who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness. Jesus doesn't shut them up. So how could we? Peace isn't kumbaya. Kumbaya is awesome. But it's not just for us internally. Peace in the scriptures is about wholeness. I heard it described this way, that peace is not just this point inside, and it's not a line outside, but it's a circle. That that peace is about making things whole. That in the scriptures, when we see the word peace, we need to think the word wholeness. And yes, that doesn't mean unending conflict and turmoil. It doesn't mean dissension and arguing just to argue. Peace doesn't just happen in a broken world, friends. Peace has to be made. But making things whole will sometimes require a great deal of conflict. How do I know this? Look at Jesus himself. Jesus, do you think he's blessing something that he doesn't embody? Do you think Jesus is a peacemaker? He has tons of conflict in his life. He'll have conflicts with the disciples. He'll have conflicts with the religious. He will ultimately have conflicts with the state. Making things whole will involve a lot of conflict. But whatever the conflict of God, of the the kids of God find themselves in, whatever they find themselves in, is in the pursuit of wholeness. Because wholeness will mean going to war against the darkness. Janitors help make the world whole. By helping people have a safe and clean environment to live and work. Doctors make people whole by warring against disease. You make the world whole when you bring love and meaning and order to your job or to your school or to your home. Lawyers make society more whole, if you can believe it, when they go to war for justice and fairness and equality. Teachers make communities more whole when they go to war against ignorance and disadvantage. Parents make this world more whole when they raise compassionate children. Students make the world more whole when they apply themselves to learning, to finding things they will work at to bring more wholeness into the world. Whatever wars you find yourselves in, whatever conflicts you find yourself in, because you will find yourself in conflict, it better be in the service of wholeness. Because this is where we find our identities in the world as the kids of God. You, everyone, everywhere is invited to make the world more whole. In these short verses, we see how we are helped, how we are connected when we are helpless, that we are connected when we are helpful. But what happens when we are helpful? Look at verse 10. Notice right after he says, blessed are the peacemakers. 
Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Wait, I thought that the kingdom of heaven belonged to the poor. Yes. I thought that the kingdom of heaven belonged to the persecuted. Yes. But how are you persecuted if you're making peace? Because doesn't that mean conflict? Right? I mean, when you go, when you stand up against the darkness, the darkness is going to come after you. And that's what Jesus, in part, is saying to his friends. He's saying, you're you're on the right track when you're persecuted because of righteousness. Notice he says, (laughs) notice what he doesn't say, I guess, here. He he doesn't say, blessed are you who are persecuted because you're a jerk (laughs) and you should be persecuted. (laughs) Like, he doesn't say, blessed are you when you're persecuted for any reason. He doesn't say that. He says, blessed are you on track, connected, when you're persecuted because of righteousness. The persecuted own the kingdom. There's no accident or surprise that they work to see it come here and now. He goes further. Look at verse 11. We're almost done. Blessed are you when people insult you, friends, when they persecute you, again, and falsely slay all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. Really? Yes, really. Because great is your reward in heaven. Heaven, the here and now heaven, or the there and then heaven? He says it's here now. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus shifts from good news for people to good news for you. Because he assumes that if you've listened up until now and haven't run out of the door, that you're in. (laughs) Because he's spoken good words to you. And he's saying if you're on track... Guess what? Conflict is coming. And guess what? That conflict is not going to ruin you because there's nothing that could ruin you. Because you're mine. And the kingdom of heaven is right here and right now. Notice that he says, because of me. Sometimes people are getting persecuted because of other reasons. Sometimes people claim that they're being persecuted for Jesus when they're being persecuted because they claim to love Jesus and are trying to do things Jesus would have never had anything to do with. So there's a very interesting warning here for all of us. Because a lot of people are running around claiming to be persecuted. And the question becomes when we read these texts, why are we being persecuted? And if you're confused on this, If you're wondering about this and wondering, well, what do you mean and what does Jesus mean? If you want to know if you're being persecuted because of Jesus, you have to be getting in trouble for the things that Jesus was getting in trouble for. That's how you know. That's how you know. Jesus was persecuted because he was friends with dirty sinners. There's air quotes podcast. And good, that good religious people, also quotes podcast, wouldn't have anything to do with. That's why he was getting persecuted. Jesus was persecuted by the state because he said he had a kingdom beyond the powers of the world and that justice and peace and connection weren't based on a sword or a gun or a bomb or a legal system or an economic system. Jesus was persecuted because he loved too indiscriminately. That's why he was persecuted. He was too generous. That's why he was persecuted. He was much too merciful. And that's why he was persecuted. 
if you aren't getting persecuted for those things, this doesn't apply to you. It does not apply to you. Hmm. Do you sit back and hear this and say, well, I don't really see what the big deal is? Do you think, well, I'm not really in suffering and I'm not in trouble for anything because I'm a good person? I mean, Jesus' word to you in part is that some of you all need a little bit more good trouble in your lives. I mean that. I really mean that. Some of you need to get in the right kind of trouble, like the Jesus kind of trouble, because he gets in a lot of trouble and we're supposed to follow him. So let's get into his kind of trouble. Some of us, he says, blessed are the peacemakers, but this kind of peacemaker seems to get in trouble all the time. It seems like peace is a dangerous business, but it is exactly the kind of business the kingdom is about. The new news is again the old news. He says, you're not alone. He invites us into the trouble that dates back to the prophets and before. Notice that he says the prophets who were before you. He doesn't, said, he doesn't say before us because Jesus was before the prophets. But he says, you're entering into a long tradition of peacemaking and mercy and righteousness. Rejoice, he says. Be glad. Because the kingdom of heaven is here and now. Your reward is great. The peace of God is here and now and always. There's no limit to the helpless that receive good news in this teaching from Jesus. There's not a limit to the helpful who receive this message from Jesus. This isn't a message to those on the inside. This is a message to anyone and everyone who is helpless and helpful. And if you say, I'm not helpless and I'm not helpful, you got a problem. A big, big problem. But guess what? God saves. And he's here. The only folks who aren't reached by this message are the ones who think they don't need it. But when you do realize you are living like you don't need this blessing, if that's you, when you realize that this doesn't describe you, this invitation, this good word, and it breaks your heart, guess what? You're poor in spirit. Welcome to the party, right? If you're sitting here, if you're listening to my voice, and none of these things describe you, and you're like, I mean, I got a pretty good life, and things are going okay, and I'm not really in trouble for anything, you're invited. You're invited. Everyone is invited. When it breaks your heart, you become one of the mourning. You've become one of the poor in spirit. You become little. You become humble because you realize that all the things you were clutching are nothing. And they didn't help you. And you can hear the good news once again. And you can become a helper again. And you can hear more good news. So where are you in this? Where are we in this? Where am I in this? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes once again. And I want to leave it kind of unsettled on purpose. Where do you identify with this word from Jesus? Where do you identify? If you came in here this morning lost, broken, mourning, 
Jesus is speaking to you. He says, I'm with you. You're on the right track. That even the wrong tracks lead to the right track when they lead to me. There's good news for you today. You can turn. Heaven is here. You can experience healing because heaven is here. Are you a helper who feels like it's all for nothing? (laughs) Did you stumble in here and all your good works and all your righteousness, all your hunger, all your thirst, all your peacemaking seems to not be going anywhere? Jesus has has good news for you today. I'm with you. You're on the right track. Keep going. If you heard this message today from Jesus, hopefully, and you're like, I don't find myself anywhere in there. Like, none of those really describe me. It's not, no one's trying to make you feel guilty about that. But if it breaks your heart, let it break your heart. The Bible says, rend your heart and not your garments. If you need to mourn, if you need your spirit to be broken by that, let it happen. Turn. You can get help too. And just stay with it. Keep your eyes closed and your heads bowed. And just last questions. Is there any place where you need to be merciful today? Any place where you need to make peace, need to make wholeness. Is there any place where you need to be hungry for righteousness? Just take a moment. Father, thank you for the word from Jesus today. Thank you that you speak to all of us and that the invitation is for everyone, everywhere, every time. That if we feel like none of this applies to us and it breaks our hearts, that we can be brokenhearted. We can come to the table. We can come to you for healing, for help, for passion, for wisdom. God, if we feel lost and alone, if we feel hungry, if we're mourning, if we're trying to make things more whole and it doesn't seem to be working, Father, would you preach that good news deep into our bones, into our souls, that wherever we're at, we'd find good news. We'd find hope today. God, we thank you for your word and how it challenges us and how it gets up underneath our assumptions and our religion and our brokenness and it makes us new. God, may your spirit go with us and guide us and guard us and protect us. God, may we get into the right kind of trouble, the trouble for righteousness' sake, the trouble for your kingdom's sake, the kind of trouble that your son Jesus was in. May we love too generously. May we be too merciful for some.
And God, would your kingdom come and your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you all are giving an offering as part of your time with God, you can give it in the box in the back. Have a great week. We love you. Come on back for more in the Sermon on the Mount next week.